podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Thursday's Terrace Podcast. You know, I just remember, I just totally forgot what day it was. Well, hello and welcome to Thursday's <laughs> Terrace Podcast. I'm Graham Phyllis and today I'm joined by Andy Harrow. Hello, Andy. Hello. And Sean McGuigan. Good evening. Uh, today we are going to be talking about Scotland more than anything else. And to, we've got uh, Scotland's number one Grant Hanley fan here to discuss that with us for our Grant Hanley <laughs> special, which is a very exciting way to go. 45 so- minutes of Grant Hanley. <laughs> That's the only reason I'm here. (laughs) So we'll we'll, we'll start off with the the game last night, which Scotland comfortably beat a team, which is a a bit of a rarity from time to time, um, as we scudded the Faroe Islands, the mighty Faroe Islands 4-0, which uh, I I think was, uh, more than anything else, it was more than anything just a competent performance. Sean, what do you think? Uh, Do you know something? I was was quite chuffed. I I know it, it doesn't really feel particularly... Cool to say, I we played quite well in beating the Faroe Islands. But if you're going to if you're going to play one of the smaller nations, then there's probably certain boxes that you want to tick. So you want to score an early goal, we managed that. You want to dominate play. I, I thought I by and large we managed that in the first half without creating too many more goal scoring opportunities. Then you probably want to finish the game early in the second half. We achieved that, and then you want to add another two or three, and we managed that as well. And I we play, played quite well in, in between and, and, and I appreciate the game kind of petered out in the last 15 minutes but aye, it was fine. And and most teams nowadays don't pummel the Faroe Islands. So without getting too carried away I was I was quite happy. Well, whether, whether, it, whether it means anything in terms of qualifying I'm not so sure. I'm, I'm maybe slightly more encouraged uh, but I'd say I was probably more encouraged because of Austria getting a doing at home by Denmark than I am by Scotland putting four past the Faroes. So it was a bit of a, a sort of, it was more than anything else, it was a, an impressive performance from Kieran Tierney in the back three, who I, I saw a lot of discussion in terms of whether Andy Robertson was our guy on the left-hand side or whether it was Kieran Tierney, but given that Tierney had a very good game, Presumably, we just leave it at that. Then, like it's he has a good game. Robertson has a reasonable game that then works. So, do we need to change that? Is that something we need to look at? And given that our defensive options are limited, I think it would be fair to say, given that we had one centre half in our back three, um, perhaps it's maybe not something worth changing. Do you have any sort of great reflections on the game, Andy? Well, on the on the kind of who should be at left wing back, who should play at left back, who should play at left centre back, all that kind of thing. I, that's probably the case that we leave it as it is for just now. I mean, the the discussion about it is a wee bit tiring. Uh, I think I think there is a valid discussion about it because it, it hasn't generally got the best out of either either player. Um, I think yesterday we saw the benefit of having somebody like Tierney playing at centre half in a game where there was lots of space where he was able to kind of get in ahead of Robertson. Uh, and um, they they work fairly well together. I think we've seen in previous games that that's not necessarily always the case, and that w- in games where uh, we're against better opposition, 
Tierney might be penned in a wee bit more and we, we can't make use of the, the kind of overlapping runs and Robertson isn't a natural wing back either. So we've, we've seen that and I think there's issues with it, but it worked absolutely fine on the on the day, and uh, it, it's probably the way that you would go for, uh, for for at least the next game going forward and seeing seeing how it goes from there. I don't think it's the the most pressing uh, issue at the moment, uh, and yeah, it, it was like Sean said, it was a it was a pretty pretty decent win against um, a pretty poor opposition. There was a couple of times that the Pharaohs got in, and, and if they had a bit more composure or just a bit more quality, they might have caused us uh, some problems or a wee bit of embarrassment. But I think on the whole, you know, we've seen there's been, as there always is every international break, there's a lot of chat about whether teams like the Pharaohs should actually be in our group. And, the, you know, and when you, you watch or you, you are getting ready for games, you know, you, you kind of, the game, the, t- the two prior games, you could kind of get excited about and you, you thought there was a genuine competition. It was pretty hard to get excited about the game last night because it was only two ways it was ever going to go. It was either going to be a um, a comfortable win like we eventually got and there's not really a lot of uh, drama to it or it's going to be a kind of really poor performance and we slogged to maybe a 1-0 or a 2-1. You know, the, the, the only time it's actually ever been excited was that awful Lichtenstein game at home. Or we, we <laughs> <laughs> no, so, I, I, was just to, I, I was just about to say, well, the, the only time one of those games has really yeah. got my heart pumping yeah. was when we beat Lichtenstein I, in the 96 I, minute and I was running around my living room. Yeah. But I, I don't really want to be back in that place. I know, I'm, I'm I quite happy I, to have a, I, I, a fairly carefree 4-0 yes. victory over I, some minnow. I know, I was at Hamden that day and I've, I, I celebrated that and it was almost in the same position I was when I went to my first Scotland game, which was the, the 1-0 France game and I think I celebrated the, <laughs> the winning goal almost equally passionately uh, on both of those occasions. Um, so yeah, it, it was it was pretty it was pretty decent, I think. Uh, there, was a, there was a few positives. Obviously, Che Adams uh, getting his first goal and again, looking like our best option up front. Um, John McGinn, looking like our, our best midfielder at the moment as well. Um, Fraser having a wee bit a wee bit of form given how poor and uh, he's been at Newcastle as far as I can can tell. Uh, and, and yeah, like we said, the Tierney and Robertson thing worked out fine. Uh, or worked out pretty well actually yesterday. So yeah, overall overall it's hard to it's hard to be too down on, on last night, I'd have to say. In fact, you can there, there are actually a few things you can be fairly positive about. Yeah, in terms it, of the defence I'd uh, like see the see the suggestion that we should that we should have tried a back four or we got a bit better against Israel when we went to a back four. I, I'm defence is in my opinion clearly the, the the weakest part of our side. So why why you would want to go to a back four so have one less defender? Like like why anybody thinks that's going to make us better? Because if you think like what is that? What is the makeup of that back four going to be? It's going to be Andy Robertson on one side. Fine, and Andy Robertson is is generally, I, I think, unless he, he steps up in a in a blue shirt, he's, he's probably going to have a Scotland career that is that is performance wise between decent and good and fine. Right, that that's probably where he's going to be when he kind of hangs up his boots in terms of in terms of Scotland performances. On the other side, you're going to have presumably Kieran Tierney, who probably doesn't want to be on that side, but again, could probably be pretty good, probably. Arguably even better than Tierney would be on the opposite side. And then in between them, you're going to have two centre-and-a-halves who, with the greatest will in the world, probably aren't going to be that good, or certainly not quite good enough. So so why anybody thinks that's going to be a, a better 
defensive uh, structure than, than what we currently have. I, I don't really know because whatever you do in front of that will not make up for the shortcomings of that back four. So I, I, I definitely think three centre-halves and, and two wing-backs and probably what we had last night is the way to go and I think we should be continuing with that. Like McTominay, I, I think, is probably better at centre-half for us. Tierney, mm. again, is somebody who's quite happy to stride out and then in between them, a kind of meat and potatoes dumpling, whether that's Grant Hanley <laughs> or one other, fine. I, I, I think... I think defensively that is the way we, we, we have to go um, I, I'm, I'm not sure I would agree with you on McTominay I think he has been responsible for either goals or, or giving away some pretty bad chances in the time I, I think it's fine against a Pharaohs or uh, maybe uh, later in the group you know, it, it might but be fine is, but against McKenna teams gonna, but is, Mc, is McKenna going to give away fewer chances or well, I, I think is Jack thing, Henry going to give away fewer chances well I don't know <laughs> Maybe not, but I suppose the thing with them is that there's times I think that McTominay gets caught out because he doesn't know the the fundamentals about defending. So <laughs> I think it's not so much the it's not so much the inability to make mistakes as I think Jack Henry's obviously capable of making mistakes and uh, Andy Considine or Gallagher or whatever they're all they're all capable of doing it. But I think I think what you're adding into the mix with McTominay against good attackers is that he is more susceptible to getting on the wrong side or to just making basic uh, like positioning problems or or uh, panicking a wee bit. I, I just think I think there's been enough evidence of him not really doing the the, the basics as a defender. I think like against the Pharaohs, it's absolutely fine because he's basically playing as a a six midfielder anyway, so it's not, it doesn't really matter. Maybe uh, uh, maybe we need to play four centre halves. Four centre halves, three bucks. <laughs> <laughs> Just get more defenders in there. You've been speaking to Craig Brown for too long, Sean. Um, to, to be honest, I, I do agree with I do actually agree with Sean and McTominay as well. I think he adds a balance to to a backline, and as you say, you've got your meeting, meeting potatoes centre half in the middle, whoever that's going to be Tierney, who's going to take the ball forward at any opportunity he can. McTominay adds a bit of solidity and adds a bit of passing, in which the other sort of meeting potato dumplings um, don't really have. And I think it offer, I think the risk of having him there. You're quite right, Andy. He has been exposed a couple of times. But again, the, the points in which he's been really badly exposed, the most obvious example being the goal he gave away in Serbia, whether he's playing at centre-half or whether he's playing in midfield, he still should have won that fucking header. So it's, 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 not, it's not quite the, the whether or not he's playing at centre-half or whether he's playing in midfield. I think whatever happens, McTominay will play in that Scotland team. Um, and to me, I think the right side of the back three might be the place for him. I think he is potentially getting better in the role. I think he will get better in the role. He is a undeniably a good footballer um, and keeping him in there and keeping that balance in terms of being able to play from the back three, which we're going to have to do at points, um, I think is, is the right way to go there. See if when he plays in the middle of the park, see when he plays as a kind of defensive midfielder, see if he was playing absolutely fantastic in there for us, then I, I would say, right, is there another centre-half we could put in there so we can put him in the middle of the park? But sometimes I see him playing there for Scotland and I, I, I don't think he plays there particularly well. So I, I do think maybe centre-half might arguably be his best position for us. Yeah, what, what I was going to say is I, I don't actually disagree that he's not been especially good for us in the, the centre of midfield. I thought he was poor against Austria. Um, and I think I said that uh, on the podcast last week that he, he, he wasn't as good as like Ryan Jack would have been, for instance, in that, that position. Um, 
But the the thing that Gra- just on the point that, that Graham was making about um improving in the role, I think the issue that we've got is that he doesn't. The only time he has the opportunity to to develop and practice it is when he's on Scotland duty because he doesn't play there for Man. You you know it's different for Tierney. I think as far as I can tell is. is playing in that position quite a lot for Arsenal now. So he is getting kind of week in, week out when he's not injured uh, experience <laughs> of, you know, of playing in that position. And so by the time that he comes up to Scotland, it's not a, it's not an alien thing that he's playing with. We're chucking McTominay. It's the same with like, same with Hanley. Like even if Hanley wasn't playing any games for, who's it now? Norwich? I've, Norwich. I've, yeah, thanks. I, th- I thought just, you would know uh, the answer just, for that just, one, John. Just, just, just be very careful how you approach these next few <laughs> sentences, Andrew. <laughs> well, what I was going to say was that even even if even if Hanley uh, had been, you know, unfairly bounced out of the Norwich team, um, that he could come in and you could you could plonk him in there in the centre of that defence because he knows the ba- the fundamentals of being a centre half because he's done it for you know however many years he's, he's been playing at centre half for now. Whereas Mc- Tony only ever does it for Scotland, so there's not really a there's not it's difficult for him to really improve. And yeah, you can maybe improve over like a three game stretch where he's he's in there all the time. But I'm not convinced that he's ever going to become an especially good centre half there when he's playing it, you know, twice a year or three times a year or however many uh, Euro qualifiers that we get. So that that would be my thing about that as well. I, I don't hate I don't hate him in centre half. I, I don't hate it at all. I just I'm just not that bothered about it either, to be honest. <laughs> see, uh, <laughs> but I see, saying I'm, I'm fairly nonplussed about him. See, uh, see, just on Grant Hanley, I always said, uh, watching those three games, I, I was thinking back to that quote about Alexander the Great, which was, uh, when, <laughs> when when Alexander of Macedonia was 33, he cried salt tears as there were there were no no more worlds left to conquer. Grant Hanley is only 29. <laughs> So you're saying that by the time we qualify for the World Cup, he won't even be 33. So he'll still, he'll actually approach it earlier than Alexander the Great did. There's something along your lines. So I hadn't really thought it through properly, but some of that. On the game as well, it's it was a bit of a shame to see Lyndon Dykes kind of struggle in the centre forward role, um, as he kind of has done throughout the games. He hasn't quite looked fit. He hasn't quite looked sharp. And chatting away to one of my friends who's a big QPR fan was saying it was kind of very similar to what his time at QPR has been as well and that it's just not quite hitting for him and I'd kind of hoped that grabbing a goal just before they met off the international break might be the sort of turning point for that but so it didn't really seem to quite happen um, with at the same time Jay Adams coming out and impressing at least a bit in one way or another in, in all the games and in, in all the sort of minutes he was on the pitch um, I think I wouldn't. I, I don't think I'm alone in assuming that when we get to the next set of games, uh, which will might be the Euros with potentially the I think they're suggesting a, a Holland friendly beforehand, it's going to be Jay Adams with Christie off him or Fraser off him or somebody off him at that point as well. And I, I'm not quite sure where it, it does feel a bit of a shame for Dykes and that he, he made it was he made such a big splash in his day Scotland debut to then almost immediately be usurped by somebody to come in and take his role by just doing everything he does just that little bit better Yeah, I, I, I think you're right in Dykes that he's, he's looked a bit of a shadow of, of that player that we saw uh, at Livingston and then that, that first Scotland appearance but and, and I, I would be really worried about it if it wasn't for the fact that we had Adams and I don't, I, like Adams isn't going to be like a, a 
an outstanding player. You know, he's not going to be a, a, a huge difference maker, but I think in a in games with like small margins, you'd like to think that he might make a difference in some of them going forward because he just he just does look like you said he just looks slightly better than what we've got. Um, sort of holding the ball up. Um, shooting, uh, finding space, his movement—you know—all the stuff that obviously a kind of player who plays regularly for a decent Premier League team would do. Yeah, he does, and yeah, uh, I think I think Dykes is a, a great option, and hopefully, by the time we get to Euros, he's, he's got a wee bit more confidence, and he's he's somebody that we can bring on when we're inevitably chasing a game. But um, yeah, I, I think having Adams is just uh, yeah, just a, a bit of a difference. I, th- I thought it was weird last night. It, was, it almost felt like Dykes didn't really know what he was supposed to do. Like, like when, when I think about Lyndon Dykes, I, like when I think about Lyndon Dykes at, at Livingston, for example, when he's I don't know, you, like you, you think about the games that, that that Livingston had live on TV and they were playing against Celtic, for example, and Livingston are a clear underdog, and he knows that he has to disrupt the back four and and ruffle their feathers, and that was that like. That's obviously what he was adept at, and that's kind of where he stuck out. But maybe when Scotland are expected to be a team and and, and you need some a wee bit more finesse, then maybe he doesn't suit that. I, I don't know, but I mean, it, it, I mean, he barely touched the ball. I said, I think he had twenty touches of the ball, uh, and he, I, as you mentioned, there was there was times where like maybe Shea Adams would do a step over, and and Dykes was not on that wavelength. Uh, and that's not necessarily Dyke's fault, but I it, it didn't quite work out last night. I, I like him. I, I really like him. And I, I think he does provide more than somebody like McBurney might do. Uh, and obviously this bit come on late on and, and didn't really get much of a chance to, to, to show what he could do. Uh, so I Dykes, Dykes will be going to the Euros, but I, I, I do wonder if that will be his last start for a wee while. I, I, I'm not sure. It didn't work for him last night for whatever reason. It's, it's 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 kind of difficult to judge just now as well because I mean there are still a whole pile of games to be played between now and the end of the season domestically as well. So if Dykes goes back to QPR and then starts immediately banging them in, then he comes back to the next group meet up in terms of being just a different player. He has the confidence back and he's ready to go. It's it's still while it's just around the corner, there's still a lot of things that happen in between there as well. So you obviously hope that he goes and starts banging them in and comes back with the sort of confidence and swagger that he had. And I think Dykes feels like one of those players that needs that swagger and he's stepping in order to contribute to the game. He can put in as much graft as he likes and he, it's hard to say that he's, you can't say he wasn't grafting, but just he needs that extra bit of quality, he needs that extra bit of confidence in him as well. And it's the same with, I mean, just about all our players, if they're in a, the confidence is going to make such a difference because that can help them elevate them to a level just above and that's kind of where he was and that's kind of what, obviously where you want to get, want to, want him to get back to as well. Uh, Dykes was, bear, bear in mind he's, he's Australian, but certainly his first few games, I thought Dykes had a gallusness that, yeah. that mm-hmm. this team kind of lacks, but last night, in, in fact for a few games now, it, it, it seems, it, it doesn't seem to have that anymore. So so, so what he's missing, I'm, I'm not sure whether it's confidence or... That, that kind of goal scoring knack, I'm not so sure. But bearing in mind, he's, he's not always been he's not always been a striker that scored goals. So I, I don't expect him to go back to QPR and and, and start rattling them in. But aye, some something's a miss there, uh, and, and yeah. hopefully he can he can find it again. It felt like actually I don't know if it was just a <clears throat> felt like a wee moment when uh, McGinn 
scored uh, with his header, uh, scored the second one. That it almost looked like one of those ones where Dykes was his, his sort of shoulders almost drooped. It was almost as if that, that should have been him in that position, and, and ah. obviously he was dragging a man away. But there was like there was almost a wee moment, and it might have that might all have been, and it might have not been deliberate. But that's what it felt like that he just yeah, just like that confidence isn't uh, isn't really there at the moment. The only other thing I really had to add from last night is that I thought it was quite, it almost felt quite pointed with sort of 15 minutes to go, uh, 10 minutes to go when uh, Clark brought on McKenna as well and Palmer, um, leaving Declan Gallagher as the only member of the outfield team that got no minutes over the three games, which for a guy who I think by the end of the Serbia game he kind of painted himself as being, or he looked like one of the, he looked like a stick on to play that meat and potato centre half role to then barely kick a ball between then and now for Motherwell. It did feel just ever so slightly pointed towards him as well. Mm. Do you think he'll be one of the ones that miss out once uh, once the squad's announced? I think it very much depends on whether he plays any football or how much football he plays. Um, he's not been impressive for us um, for a for a for a portion of this season as well. And there's all sorts of chat floating around about his contract situation, all sorts of nonsense as well. But and his agent seems to be burning up phone cards in order to to <laughs> put stories about him in the press as well. So I'm not entirely sure that's. It just felt a little bit pointed with ten minutes to go. That he, he looks at his bench and he looks for McKenna and he looks for Palmer and he looks for Fleck and, and looks for McBurney in a game which is you're going to learn nothing about these guys but give them a run out and then Gallagher still sitting in the stand. Mm. So it might be a fitness related thing. I don't know. Yeah. Can I, also, just a note on um, Kevin Nisbet. I, I think the only person stressed about uh, the second half of the game last night was a guy running his social media account as to whether they could schedule their tweet <laughs> congratulating Kevin Nisbet and his the Scotland cap but on a, on a serious point I mean he's, he's, I'd be very surprised if he's anywhere near the, the squad come the Euros but it's it is nice for him, you know, as a story. Like you know, we were watching him. I mean, Sean were watching him at Rovers not that long ago, and uh, he, when he signed for us, he, he, there was really nothing behind him in terms of uh, like any sort of pedigree. So the fact that he's gone from banging in, uh, it's sort of almost a, a, an anonymous type of signing, a not not particularly flashy signing for for us in League One to. I was raging with signing. Called up for Scotland. I, I, thought, was, <laughs> I, thought, I thought he was absolutely shit. I watched his uh, I watched his trial game against I think we beat Dunfermline at Methyl and he had quite a good game and I was like we're going to sign him and he's, he's fucking terrible I'm really annoyed he's had a good game and he's, he scored something like 33 goals which shows you exactly what I know uh, but no, I, I don't think it's I don't think it's impossible that he'll get in the squad uh, I, I, I don't think it's beyond the realms of, of possibility if he has a good if he has a good end to the season I think there's, I think there's a lot more chance of him getting in the squad than uh, than Shankland, for example, yeah. I, I think there's more chance of him getting in the squad than Lee Griffiths. Probably, I think. Uh, uh, what's his name? It was at Celtic in Germany and Ollie Ollie Burke. Burke. I, I think there's more chance than him, for example. So I know. I, I think as long as he finishes the season strongly with Hibs, then he has a chance. I mean, bear in mind that was our last. So, so Graham, you said we might be playing Holland and a friendly, but we don't have too many games between now and uh, the, the championship proper. So I think he has a chance. Mm. I mean, it, it does quite show how humpty our options are behind uh, Adams and Dykes in terms of a first choice striker. Like they're really, I mean, God, yeah, I know he keeps persisting with McBurney, and there isn't really any really much else, but. 
Our options are absolutely dreadful. Right, there is. Uh, luckily, Adams is going to come in, and, we, and we've got and we've nationalised Dykes as well. But um, <laughs> basically, but, uh, I it's the government owned. <laughs> yeah, it's, it was the it was Dykes first, and then the trains. That was uh, <laughs> sitting next to Prestwick Airport and the trains, and then London Dykes. <laughs> uh, so I mean that. that that was the, the, the final of the triple header, obviously, as well. And the finishing finishing any sort of round of international games with a win, regardless of who it's against, always makes you feel an awful lot better about it. But how are we generally feeling about the about the group so far? Are we just quite happy that Denmark are scudding everybody? I, I think I think we're done, honestly. <laughs> I, like, I, I just <laughs> I said this after Cap- the Captain Positive <laughs> I've seen it too often. Like that's the thing. Like uh, I know uh, Craig Anderson's kind of been doing all the, the permutations, and and uh, I think uh, one of our friends, Ewan, replied to him saying, "Well, we only need to if we just win in Austria and also beat Israel at home, then we've got a good chance." I'm like, "Well, there's your there's your problem right there. We can't beat Israel, and there's no chance of us beating Austria away from home." So, it, it, like it's the it's the usual thing. It's like mathematically, we obviously aren't out of it after three games. You know, the possibilities are endless in theory, but practically we're out because we always fuck up against like one of the crap teams, and we've already done it against Israel. We've already not beaten. Austria at home, so we're two down in terms of like the the type of games that we need to win. Uh, Denmark pumping everyone would be helpful, uh, and if we can somehow get something against them, that would that would give us a chance. I mean, as I say, we're not mathematically out of it, but we've been here so often that it's hard to imagine that we're actually going to turn around. The, the, the only positive I would say is that. Clark always keeps things pretty close. We don't get humped very often, so there's well that's. It generally led to us getting a lot of draws. There is a chance that one of these days we'll actually, you know, we might go to Austria and we might sneak a win nil one or something. We're not, uh, not we're, 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 we're not mathematically out of it, says Andy Harrow of the team that's sitting second. We do this every single time. Sean, bring me some positivity about the group. Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. I I was disappointed with the with, with the draw against Austria. That's not what I asked for. Let me let me give you a let me give you a well balanced <laughs> argument. I was I, I was concerned about the draw with Austria and the the draw with Israel. Like those two results are they're absolutely reeking of a team that's going to finish third. However, Austria weren't that good. Like it didn't really. I, I, I thought we were second best for kind of large swathes of the game. But I think once we established actually they weren't they weren't really up to much. I I don't think we have to go to Austria and, and fear them. So I I don't think it's beyond the realms of possibility to go there and and get a draw or, or, or sneak a win. I I'm I'm not necessarily going to go into the Austria game and think we will definitely lose here. If we get a point or a win in Austria, I I think we'll finish second. And then what happens in the playoffs happens in the playoffs I, I don't even think we'll necessarily have to take anything off of Denmark however if we do the fact that Denmark uh, we have them at home on the last day when they'll presumably already have been qualified and I think will suit us so I uh, we, I would ideally have had us were sitting here with seven points we're sitting on five you have to make those up somewhere avoid defeating Austria and I think we might be okay 
my kind of overwhelming fear about this is that again I agree with you Austria I think we were a bit overwhelmed by the it seems to have to say we were overwhelmed by the occasion but it felt like there was a weight on the game more than anything else despite the fact there was nobody there it felt like just the the turning up and expecting to get a result against a team who you maybe look at and go do you know what they're, they're going to be better than us Who and in the end they weren't really and I do agree with you I don't think we go to Austria with any fear my big concern about all of this is that we are incapable of beating Israel. So say we go to Austria, we get a point, and then we then lose to Israel at Hamden, which then sees Israel finish second like Israel end up finishing second at the group because we are utterly incapable of defeating them is my big fear from it and that we're concerned about Denmark and Austria. When in reality being unable to beat Israel is the is the is the big concern for me as well. And the, the game the, the, the second game in the group was, was the real sort of dampener for the whole thing um, for me and the, 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 the triple header it felt like a real opportunity to try and we'd, we'd beat them on penalties right? Or we'd, we'd just about got past them before right fine okay let's 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 build on that and actually beat them over 90 minutes for once um, as it turns out no, we, can't, we still can't seem incapable of beating this team of guys who feature a collection of players who turned out with no great <laughs> <laughs> turned up with turned up and played for Celtic with no great fanfare over various years as well, and they have some they have some decent players within this squad, but we just seem at this mental block in terms of beating them, and it's it's the most frustrating thing. But I'm I'm, 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 with, I'm, with, I'm with you as well, Sean. I, I think we I, I, we've got nothing to fear from Austria, and then if Denmark continue and their, their daft form of just beating everybody, then that's fine. If they drop points, then, then let, let, let's make sure it's us that they drop points against. Yeah, I, I, I suppose. Uh, 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 I th- no, I was going to say sorry. I think I think you're right in saying that the the keys Israel. It's whether Austria are going to drop any points to to Israel. Like it, it obviously is between the three of us, and it's it's a kind of mini. In theory, you'd think it was probably a mini league table between all of us, but uh, I, I, I'm not sure Austria are going to drop points to Israel. I mean, they're they're cack. Like they're not cack. That's not fair. But like they're they're not they're not that good. Uh, and they've kind of proven they're not that good over the the umpteen times they've beaten and drawn against us so far. Something. I, I, I suppose what we have on our side now is that surely we have the law of averages on our side against us. <laughs> surely we just just have to fucking beat them eventually. <laughs> and infuriating. Mm. I had that in my head that we have had like a number of wins against them. I, I, like, because I, I just think we sh- we should. It was the three two, wasn't there? We beat them three two. McLeish was the manager. Uh, James Forrest was that James Forrest right. hat trick? That's right. And even then, we made heavy weather of that. In ah. the end, it should have been easy. But um, yeah, I, it's not. It's not like the Kazakhstan group where the, I mean, we literally wear it after one game with that one, uh, and there was all that. Oh, you know, well, we've got X number of games left to go, and oh, we were out as soon as we get pumped by Kazakhstan because no one else was getting getting scudded three 0 by them. But so, so, so we, the, the crucial thing was we didn't lose to Austria. I think if we'd lost to Austria, we would have been we would have been totally out of it. But we've, we've I, I, got I a chance. What, I just I'm not I'm not history is not making me confident about it. I, I tell you what I do find encouraging, and and normally I I pay no heed to, to things like this, but see uh, some of the the sound bites that players have been com- coming out with after the game. So McTominay said something about the the attitude of the players. I can't remember what it was, uh, but it, I, like, I did believe him. So see when he was saying about like the attitude of the team and how they believed in what the manager was trying to do, and I know a lot of players say that, but I, I did think to myself. Right, so we've just went a goal down to Austria twice. Do I think we would have come back under a lot of managers 
a, a number of other Scotland managers, probably not. And then Ryan Fraser, I think was interviewed after last night's game. Obviously, he played right. Uh, he played wing back, and he was he, he was asked about the fact that he played wing back, and he said, "Listen, I I would run through manager, I'd run through managers. I would run through." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Presumably, he'd run through managers as well. But he said, I'd, I'd, "I'd run through a brick wall for, for this manager. So if he wants to, to play me anywhere, I'll, I'll, I'll play wing back. That's absolutely fine." So I it might just be that they're saying that for, for a decent soundbite, but maybe there is a, a, a decent mindset and a, a decent attitude and a decent togetherness about about the squad and, and the team that, that maybe we didn't have previously. So who knows? We'll find out because there's, there's a lot of big games coming up. I would agree with that as well, Sean. And I do kind of feel that. <clears throat> the the Serbia game and, and qualifying for the Euros has kind of been a bit of a not, not a distraction really, but it's it's a it's a standout moment in what is Steve Clark rebuilding Scotland. And the way I always look at it is how Michael O'Neill went into Northern Ireland and kind of was roundly dreadful for a whole collection of games as he started to build it and put things in place in order so that players understood what was expected of them and players understood what what sort of things he was asking for in their roles. And then they went on a, an unbelievable run until the point where he was, well, I'm going to go and take a, a better job elsewhere. And absolutely fair play to him for that. And that's kind of how I've always viewed Clark in at Scotland. I didn't, he's not a guy, I, I, never, I never expected Steve Clark to appear as Scotland manager. And then immediately within three, three, three games, he would then turn us into a, a well oiled, very well functioning machine. The nature of international football and the, the availability of players and the the paucity of games that you play as well, it's going to take time. And having uh, after sort of various other campaigns, I, I forget which particular uh, disappointment it was. Um, but Craig Anderson's explanation, uh, Craig Anderson talking about um, the sort of mentality within the Scotland team and the way in which they do fold. Because in the past decade or so, under any sort of pressure or any, uh, under any sort of moment where things have gone a wee bit wrong, they have folded. Things have collapsed, and the whole the whole, the whole house has fallen in on top of us. And yeah, I think the Austria, the Austria draw is a good example of that as well. The Israel game is again is another good example of that. We don't, we don't do that anymore. Um, and if you've changed the mentality and you've changed the expectation of players coming to play for Scotland, then hopefully results begin to follow after that. Is, is kind of I mean, the way I mean, I've looked at it. And as I say, the Serbia game and the qualification for the Euros, it it sticks out like a sore thumb in the middle of that because it's it's out of cycle essentially in terms of where it should be and in terms of how it's developing but Clark had no option but obviously had no option but go and win the games but it kind of, if you look at the everything as a totality rather than that as an individual result and a, a qualification as a thing then it is and I do feel that there is every time we there is an international set of games there is an improvement in one way or another and I think it's a patience thing for us at this moment in time I mean, let's face it, we're, we're sitting here and we're now saying, well, disappointed that we've drawn with Austria and we're disappointed that we've, we've drawn with Israel. And, and we are. I'm not disappointed. I fucking expe- expected exactly that. <laughs> expected exactly a draw with Israel. No, no, but previously we would have sat here and yeah, said, yeah, yeah, I've right, a game, right. oh, disappointed that we've lost. But but now we're in a situation where it's like, oh, well, felt we could have won that game or, or maybe we should be aiming to win that game. So... So aye, if we could just get that extra five percent, then we'll be getting those games over the line. So aye, I haven't, I haven't lost all hope. Uh, I'm not quite an Andy Harrow camp, but <laughs> but no, no, you'll be soon, soon enough. I mean, <laughs> by the time the Euros come around, he'll be he'll be back. I, I give me a camp. couple of months. I'll be right there with you. <laughs> 
moving on to something which a positive, a more, a, a, an undeniably positive Scotland result as we approach the next round of uh, the next game in the list of memorable Scotland games, um, which is in no way memorable for me because it was 15 years <laughs> before I was born. <laughs> Nonetheless, we go to 1973 for Scotland defeated Czechoslovakia 2-1. The fact that it's got a country that doesn't fucking exist anymore. <laughs> um, Scotland defeated Czechoslovakia 2-1 uh, to qualify for World Cup 1974 in West Germany. Um, see, uh, see, see, every time these come up, and it and it's from like a like <laughs> a distant year. I mean, the, the worst one was when uh, I think it was was it, was it myself and Craig Fowler and Craig Cairns, and we had like Scotland nil, England nil from eighteen eighty. <laughs> <laughs> How is that? Is that even on the internet? I, I, I don't know. Am I going to have to go to the library to research it? Uh, but aye, this, this wasn't this wasn't quite so bad, and I, I, I was I was worried when I when I when it came up, but then I realised I had a I had a big book about about Scotland, Scotland in the World Cup finals, and then there was there was a wee. Uh, do you remember that was a team that was that yeah, yeah. that used to be on it? So that was on YouTube. So I, I managed yeah. to I managed to find it bits and bobs. So it was it was all very interesting. Uh, I'll just I'll give a bit of an explanation for the game, and we can talk about bits and pieces within it. So, um, Scotland needed if Scotland won, they would qualify for the World Cup, having beaten Denmark home and away, which ended a 16-year wait for qualification for the World Cup. Um, so they took on Czechoslovakia at Hamden. Um, they went a goal down to Zdenek Nohoda after 33 minutes before first Jim Holton and then finally Joe Jordan uh, nodded home to take us take us to take us to the World Cup um, which we then latterly exited without losing a game <laughs> so we became a, a, an interesting footnote following on from that um, nonetheless um, we can talk about the game we'll talk a little bit about the game now as well can, well, uh, just before we talk about the actual specifics of the game the uh, my dad used to always say it's a disaster for Scotland, like pretty much whenever Scotland actually played a, a game that we were watching, he, he kind of had that mantra. And I never knew, I knew it was in some sort of commentary that happened in the town. I never knew where he got it, it from because it, it could have been any number of games over the course of like my dad's <laughs> life, which, is, which started in about the late 40s or early 50s or whatever it was. It could have been any of them, could have been any year. Uh, but so it was It was quite nice, nice to find out that that's actually where they took it from. And the commentary is really, it's, it is quite fun. There's a real, um, a real panache to the, uh, the way that he uh, announces everything about it. Right at the very end of the highlights, there's a wonderful bit of Dennis Law bearing down on goal. He's yes. commentator's absolutely, he's absolutely lost it. Come on now, Dennis. Come on, Dennis. Oh, as he runs it out of play. Yeah, so the thing that we hate the English commentators for, uh, for kind of the World Cup in 66, but is, uh, is very endearing when it's your own team. Uh, I, I don't, to be honest, I don't really have a lot to say about the, the game, having really just watched the two and a half minute highlights. But <laughs> uh, uh, the goalkeeping, the, uh, it, did, uh, it looked like it would be one of those traditional Scottish games where a uh, game we need to win, the, the keeper, our keeper's got kind of biscuit risks. Biscuit risks? Biscuit risks. And uh, <laughs> just lets the, the ball kind of trickle under his arms. Um, yeah, uh, that would be a, a fitting way for us to get knocked out of qualifying. It's, it's a good way to start the highlights of Ali Hunter just watching the ball sail past him as well and it's it's one of those things that 
to so there's a sort of running long long term running joke about Scottish goalkeepers, which I've never massively understood because throughout my lifetime, Scottish goalkeepers have been guys like Jim Layton or Andy Gorham or Craig Gordon. We'll just skip over Rab Douglas in the middle there, uh, or Craig Gordon or in modern day, or Craig Gordon, uh, Alan McGregor, and David Marshall, and guys who you look at and go, you're, you're at, at the very minimum a very competent goalkeeper, and then you see clips from like the seventies and eighties of stuff like this, and you're like. <laughs> This is fucking why, isn't it? This is exactly why people look at Scottish goalkeepers and go, "No, I don't fancy him." I mean, I mean, you're right because even in my lifetime, like Scotland have always had decent goalies. But bear in mind, like bear in mind, Alan Ruff had 53 caps, and <laughs> as far as I'm aware, Alan Ruff is pretty rubbish. Mm. But but I, you're right. This 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 kind of whole this kind of whole shebang about. Uh, Scotland having terrible goalkeepers has never made a lot of sense to me. And then you see, you see Ali Hunter just just <laughs> flopping this one. And, and I mean, I, I don't know how to describe it. So can they, the Czechoslovakia guy kind of run in? And he, I mean, it, I mean, it was a shot. It was a, it was a shot not only from distance but from almost the touchline. And he just he just waved it. He just waved it as it went in his opposite <laughs> corner. And then we'd been we'd been far away far away the best team. There's a hundred thousand there. We were expecting. Uh, it, it, it was slightly unusual because so I there was only three teams in the group: Denmark, ourselves, Czechoslovakia. I, I could be wrong here, but I've got a feeling that, that Denmark at that point weren't they weren't professional. So I, I I think they were. I'm not saying they were amateur. Maybe they were semi-professional. But we'd beat them home and away, and then Czechoslovakia went to Denmark and drawn, and that's why with two games to go, we had to play Czechoslovakia at home, Czechoslovakia away. But if we'd beat them. Two points for a win, they couldn't catch us and uh, Czechoslovakia. And we hadn't we hadn't qualified for World Cup since '58. And it was interesting reading up about this game because I think in the fifties the World Cup was I it was a thing. And if you're into football, it was a thing. But it wasn't alive on the telly and it was generally played in faraway, faraway destinations. So it was something you may have had a passing interest in, but that was about it. Then we never qualified in the sixties. And obviously, for obvious reasons, we, we maybe turned our back on it a wee bit in the sixties. But then, <laughs> in, in the seventies, so I think nineteen seventy, the nineteen seventy World Cup was the first one that was broadcast live across the world. And then we had things like like color televisions, and being in the World Cup, apparently being in the World Cup was something that you desperately wanted to be because not only was it live on the telly and it was in color, and we hadn't been in it for ages. And this was the first one that we were really desperate to be in. Uh, and we, for the first two games against Denmark, we had Tommy Doherty as a manager. And then he went to Manchester United and we appointed Willie Ormond, who his first game was a, it was the 100th, sorry, it was the centenary of the SFA and we played England. So your first game as Scotland manager and he lost 5-0 to England. And he lost five of his first six games. And the pressure was on him going into this one. And he, uh, he he called up a, good, a couple of guys. So, so I think Jordan came off the bench. I think this was maybe his first cap. It was certainly his first goal for Scotland. He eventually scored the winner. But it was this game that maybe it essentially kept him in a job. Uh, but I, I was, it was interesting looking back in terms of the, the the attitude to the World Cup up until this point. We'd, we'd not been dismissive, but we were now very much taking, taking it seriously with a team that was... Bear in mind, you only got sixteen teams in the World Cup at, at this point. It was one of the best in the world, and and, and talk about this game specifically. 
uh, Czechoslovakia would go on to win the 1976 European Championships. I mean, this was a this is this is a good Czechoslovakia team. There were no mugs. As well as that, just just on Joe Jordan as well. I found it quite interesting. There was a big interview with him that I came across, and he was highlighting, and it did kind of have big echoes in terms of what we have today as well with the current Scotland team as well and he was highlighting as well once you do it as a group the beliefs there the realisation that it can be done and then you go on a run Scotland got a good run in qualifying we reached the, reached the finals in 1974 we went to the next four and making that breakthrough is important and a lot of, there was an awful lot more at the interview as well but it all just it all just reeked of what's happening just now. Like you just kind of felt it, it felt similar to Ryan Christie bursting into tears in his interview. <laughs> just that case, like you just need to get over the hump because once you get over the hump, once you be there, once you be there, fuck me. Uh, once you've been there, you understand that you only ever want to go back and do it again. You understand of what's expected and how you do that there as well. And it did. It, it did feel like, feel like it have it had great sort of echoes in terms of the Scotland team today, and that it's been so long since we qualified. It's now slipping out of. There's no player even close to still playing that played at the World Cup in '98. Um, they're, they're all now just arsehole pundits. Um, so now <laughs> instead of that, you've got a, we have a relatively young team of of guys who are again very good players who now understand quite how you do that how you get to a tournament and then why you want to go back as well I just thought it was quite interesting in that respect I I was I was very disappointed that the, apparently all the players hated the, the World Cup anthem that we had in 1974 which was Yabba which I actually thought it was I just thought it was quite good I mean it's essentially just like about three and a half minutes of glam rock. So yabba dabba do. We support the boys in blue, and it's easy, easy. I I, I thought it was a, a decent track, uh, but but apparently everybody hated it. So so that wasn't so good. What troubled glam rocker uh, from the seventies uh, did that one? I don't I don't uh, I don't know that one. Or it, it, it troubled slash disgraced glam rocker. I, I mean, I don't think it was anybody that. that that got in trouble with YouTube. If that's what you mean. <laughs> Just a YouTuber, YouTube. YouTube. Because I was in trouble with YouTube. Um, they just, just, I mean, we, we maybe will. I, I still don't know about this list that we've got. I don't know what the games are we've got left. We'll maybe go into the World Cup, but just, just briefly on that, it, it feels weird that this is a a tournament that. It feels quite forgotten about to me. Like I, I, it's, it's, of all the of all the sort of World Cup and Euros appearances we've made, this is the one that's made the least impression on me. I know, I, I'm kind of aware of the nil nil with Brazil, but it's really like it kind of pales in insignificance compared to you know other. And maybe because it wasn't a total disaster, we should have we should have qualified, but it wasn't a, an embarrassing exit in the the kind of fashion that we've been good at whenever we've got to tournaments. But um, but yeah, I've, I've I've got almost no um, no knowledge about the the seventy four World Cup at all, which is which is odd. Um, I think uh, I think I think we were the first team to go out a World Cup unbeaten. I'd, I'd, so that was 74 and then I think Italy done it in 82 and maybe somebody else has done it since I can't remember but uh, that this was and again I, I don't know if maybe it's already been covered on the list but when after we qualified we played and I'm guessing it was it was the home internationals but I could be wrong but I think we either lost to Wales and beat Northern Ireland or, or vice versa and then we had England at home but in the build up to the in the England game that was the the match where Jimmy Johnson floated out to sea in a boat. Oh, yeah. But it was interesting seeing all the players getting interviewed and they said, uh, 
I said Joe Jordan was there, and then it, it, it went to Joe Jordan. I mean, I thankfully I wasn't involved, but it was uh, Sandy Jordan said that he, he just kicked the boat. He goes, I, he goes, I, I just kind of pushed it out. <laughs> but he, it was, it said it like in a matter of fact. It was like, right, well, that, that's quite a big thing to do when a guy's standing, <laughs> when a guy's in a boat, bluttered, and there's no oars. Like, really, I would, I would regard you responsible rather than <laughs> Jimmy Johnson. Jimmy Johnson now has no like. What can he do? How does he it's get back? Bit, it's a bit of the CJ Demoy defence, isn't it? Really, just I've just got to push them off the. <laughs> Appear. <laughs> if he can't swim, it's his fault from that point. Uh, but it was, it was good because, in the, so basically, in the build up to the England game, uh, Jimmy Johnson had a, a really, really negative press. And England hadn't qualified for the World Cup. So the night that we lost to Czechoslovakia in, in the last game, which was an irrelevance, England were playing Poland, I, I think, at Wembley. And uh, they drew one all, which put England out. It meant they couldn't couldn't qualify for the World Cup. So apparently, when England turned up at Hamden, they were really determined to to kind of get one over in Scotland. But Jimmy Johnson was was unplayable. Uh, we we beat them two 0 That was brilliant to see that that fucking weirdo Peter Shelton letting them two <laughs> shouting goals. Absolutely fantastic. But full time, Jimmy Johnson was trying to get everybody, all the players, and Willie Ormond to go up to the press box and and give everybody the fees. <laughs> you see Willie Ormond is, is like saying well, well no we'll maybe leave that and then he's trying to kind of usher the players up as well and you can see they're like no I'll, I'll maybe just go and clap the fans and, and, and say well done and, and thank everybody for the support but Jimmy Johnson is wearing he's wearing Peter Shelton's jersey which is five sizes too big for him and he's just he's just flicking the V's at, at the press box brilliant absolutely brilliant uh, the, the, one of the other notable things in this game as well was, as 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 I've learned from Tony, what you want to do is go through the the opposition team to just see I've if done there's. It. I've done it. I, I couldn't find any. I couldn't find any sex scandal or smut. <laughs> I could only find no, one player. You you you've maybe found something. I've I found no smut, but I did realise that Antonin Penenka is yes. Pene- Mr. Penenka mm-hmm. of Penenka yeah. fame. The man, uh, the man named after that penalty. <laughs> Cheeky oh, bastard. I remember the other way about. I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> what I do, and again, one of the things I found when when sort of looking through this game as well was just how like it, it kind of feels like that uh, Real Madrid Eintracht Frankfurt game that everyone claims that they were there, regardless of regardless of what the actual capacity of Hamden was. That if you believe everyone that said that they were there <laughs> and it was their first international, <laughs> there must have been roughly three hundred thousand people on the ground. Um, but fair play to them. If you want to believe that you're there, by all means. Uh, do we have anything else to add to this game? Uh, no. Uh, I think no. we've done that. Yabba Dabba 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 Thank you, Sean. No, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Andy. Thank you. Enjoy your evening. Sports Social Podcast Network.